Let's quiet our hearts and just ask the Lord to speak to us in these few moments. Father, would you allow your Holy Spirit, um, would we allow your Holy Spirit freedom to move into our hearts, to speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it all started, uh, I'm sure some of you are aware of this, with a YouTube video that became a viral sensation on the Internet. Ted Williams, a panhandler near Columbus, Ohio's Interstate 71, was soliciting donations with a sign saying, ex-radio announcer with a God-given gift who has fallen on hard times. A reporter from the Columbus Dispatch spoke to him, and some of you have seen this little clip. Of a great voice. Hey, we're going to make you work for your dollar. Say something with that great radio voice. When you're listening to nothing but the best of oldies, you're listening to Magic 98.9. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. And we'll be back with more right after these words. And don't forget, tomorrow morning is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see this man live in concert. Yeah, you've, you've seen that. And, and every time I watch it, I go, man, that voice, it, it, the face, picture, everything, it's just so, as they say, golden. It's so mellow and powerful. Ted Williams goes on to explain in that little one-minute video how he went from a successful career to homelessness. At age 14, a radio announcer told him that radio is theater of the mind. And so William recounts, as he says, I just said, well, hey, I can't be an actor. I can't be an on-air personality. But radio. For Ted Williams, radio was the ticket because of his golden voice. And then he goes on to explain until alcohol, drugs, and a few other things became a part of his life. And this video clip... Um, gained traction as people began to see it, so did Williams' notoriety, and along with that, opportunities. From a local radio show uh, to an interview on CBS's The Early Show to a reunion with his 92-year-old mother from Brooklyn, New York, to a job offer all over the country, Cleveland Cavaliers looking at him to do some announcing, to what now appears to be endless opportunities. From street beggar to primetime prince, life has changed dramatically for Ted Williams, at least externally. It, it appears at least it's changing externally. In fact, at one point um, in the last week or so, Dr. Phil intervened and began to start realizing it really doesn't matter how much it changes around here, but if things in here aren't changing, it's not going to keep the things out here in place. Well, the Bible for years has said something similar. Jesus would say that from time to time when he would teach. In fact, it was really the, the foundational point under much of what he talked about. The underlying concern of Jesus was, was not, he, not, not so concerned about what was going on around here with people. Although he was very much moved by compassion, by what he saw and what impacted our lives and a person's life. But what was most important to him when he would meet with people was what? It was always what's going on in here. 
He always looked at the external things and realized that the external things could really change. And they do change in our life. But there is something that if it remains constant and it remains connected to something that has the ability to stay constant, things won't change in that way. And the external life of people can change, but maybe not so drastically as a Ted Williams, but the internal character of our hearts, if it has the ability to remain in a safe stable, secure place. It has the ability to change everything in our life. See, the condition of our hearts creates, establishes, and maintains the kind of fruit that allows for us to live no matter what life circumstances may be around us. And so the parable told by Jesus in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and later which he interprets to his disciples, he tells it to the crowd and then interprets it to the disciples, in chapter 13, verses 18 through 23, if, I, if you look at it in one sense, it appears to be misnamed the parable of the sower. But it makes sense it's named that because in verse 18, Jesus kind of says to the disciples, let me, let me explain to you the parable of the sower. So he kind of, in a sense, you know, puts the name to it. But in reality, it's not really the parable of the sower. What it really might be called, if you were to change even the heading that you have many you have on your Bible, there's usually a little kind of summation of what that next story is. It would be the parable of the soils. That's really what this is all about. The key thought that Jesus is driving at here is not about the sower nor the seed, but it's all about the soil as we get into this. He, he basically has said throughout his ministry that the kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven is here and can take residence in your heart so that this heaven that you begin to know in your heart in this relationship with this constant love that comes from the Father in heaven who in His grace and mercy allows for us to, to know and to experience His truth so that His truth can begin to order our steps. This heaven can come into our hearts, can reside there, and this heaven we can bring to every place where we go and live. It's not about the sower's aim when you start looking at this parable. It's not about really his ability to disperse the seed and how well he disperses the seed. It's not about the seed. It's not about whether it's the calves in rich seed or for some of you who work at Cargill, their high yield seed. It's all about the soil. It's about the character and condition of the soil that the sower throws seed upon. And what I find is interesting is the soil is something that each and every one of us has control over. That's one of the things I think that Jesus wants to get across when he starts talking about these kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Because so often we think about the kingdom of heaven, we think of the sovereignty of God, and you think of the sovereignty of God. There's this, incredible, there's this incredible tension throughout Scripture that talks about the sovereignty of God, yet the responsibility of individuals. And so Jesus, when he starts into this whole thing on the kingdom um, and these parables, which I have titled the Jesus parables, he, he begins right off from the very get-go to, to lay almost, in a sense, responsibility on each one of us. Or how we respond to the sower who sows seed, whether it be from God's hand directly or comes through the voice of a preacher or through a song that's sung or through something you read or as you walk outside and you see this in beautiful um, maybe sunset or you see fall the snow falling lightly on cars and the, and the distinct uniqueness of each snowflake and you begin to go, wow. And the, and the word, the seed, lands in your heart and penetrates 
or, or, or at least has the ability to land in your heart. Now you, as soil, we have something that we're responsible for. And so my fear with Ted Williams, and the reason I bring him up in the very beginning, is because so often what happens is things externally change around for people. I see this again and again, and, and I know this in my own life, but if our identity, the sense of who we are, the soil of our own hearts, don't begin to take in the seed that comes from the sower, that allows for that fruit to grow, so the kingdom of God can actually grow up within us, it will, it will not matter for you whether your external things change or not. You may feel better at times, but it's amazing to me, those who are very rich and those who are very poor, those who seem to have have it all and those who seem to have none, those who seem to have a good upbringing, those who seem to have a poor upbringing. It really doesn't matter because if you watch enough people, you'll see it really doesn't matter about the external. It doesn't matter necessarily about the past. What matters about is your heart and what you do with those things. And so I think it's interesting as he begins here, he begins this parable with one that calls us to understand everything he ever taught about. And it's about the heart. Let me just share with you some preliminaries just as we get into this. And I'm so grateful for Peter Kapsner, who shared last week. And, uh, and, and I, I, I um, was joking with him as I saw him this morning as he's teaching another class about um, thanking him that he told everybody I was in Florida just um, having a great time, which I was. But I thank Peter for the way he shared about these parables and kind of answered that question, why parables? And, and the authority that this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, if we continue to remember, he was a teacher, he was a rabbi who came to his people who were looking to be taught, and he taught with such incredible authority. And he came with authority to people whose hearts, again, did you get this? Whose, people whose hearts were willing to hear it. The things he would say, not everyone really actually heard. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. So just some preliminaries. And I've really enjoyed going through Matthew. Matthew 13. We come to this chapter. And Matthew 13 is, is a new division in Matthew's gospel. And I think it's important for you to understand this if we're going to understand the parables to come. This is for, for Matthew, as he writes now, a new train of thought, a new perspective. Because things, in a sense, were also changing for Jesus in his ministry. And what you have to realize, when you write about something, you can make those demarcations a little more solid. So you can do that for the point of the story. I'm sure when Jesus was living as an itinerant, these things were happening, kind of getting layered at times, so that when he comes to this point in 13, there was this change that was occurring, but it wasn't maybe as clear for people to see at that point, but it's now clear as Matthew looks back, and the Holy Spirit teaches him these things. So Matthew 1 through 4, we looked a little bit about this when we were at our, our Christmas series. Matthew 1 through 4 is, is really the introduction that Jesus is the king and he is bringing a new kingdom to this earth and people are filled with joy. Those people who are looking for him are, are excited. This, this king and this kingdom of God had been prepared through this, this nation of Israel for years as he chose Abraham and then through, through the patriarchs and, and all the way down through um, Moses and David and, and all the way through you see this whole land being prepared, these people being prepared. They were prepared for a king who would someday come and bring his kingdom. They were waiting for this kingdom to come. And so Matthew 1 through 4 introduces that. Matthew 5 through 10 then begins to talk about this king as he shows up and he begins his ministry. You begin to see in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus declares the truths of this kingdom. Here's the principles. Here's the, the underlying truths that, that are, are, are plain and simple about this kingdom. So he, he gives you the Sermon on the Mount, one great big teaching section in Matthew. And then in chapters 8 and 9, where we actually began this study back this fall, 
he moves from declaring the kingdom to now Jesus begins to demonstrate the kingdom. We just walk with Jesus from one healing after another healing, from one healing after another healing. You see him taking the truths of what he says about the kingdom. Now he begins to demonstrate these truths to people who will have faith and receive them until he comes to chapter 10. And now at this point he talks about doing the kingdom. He says, he, he declares it, he demonstrates it. Now he says to his disciples in chapter 10, I'm going to send you out to do the kingdom. And in the same way he says to us, he deputizes every person who but believes and trusts in him who wants to be in his kingdom to go out and declare and demonstrate the kingdom as well. And then you get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is this response to the kingdom of God. Here is the king who comes, and in chapter 12 you see all these different responses. You see a doubt, you see, you see complaining and criticism, you then begin to see how people at the same time are apathetic. And finally you get the end of chapter 12 before we come to chapter 13. And you find there's this outright rejection of the king. The king is rejected. Which raises a question for a good Jew. Because a good Jew is going to begin to start thinking, well, if the king is being rejected and he's reading this, and he's reading this as a story, he's beginning to think to himself, they just plotted to kill him, it says in chapter 12. They're rejecting the king. They see the responses. There isn't this overwhelming, this flood tide of let's make him king. There is this, this rejection occurs. And at that point, a good, loyal, Jewish, religious person is going to say, what happens to the kingdom? If the king's rejected, what's happened to the kingdom? So if you look at chapter 12, verse 14, Matthew tells us the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill the king. And they're asking if Jesus, the rightful king, the child of Abraham, the descendant of David, the son of God, came to rule and to reign to establish what his father, through the promise of prophets, had promised, what is going to happen to this kingdom that he came to set up? Can you see the confusion in their minds? If the king's rejected, what, what, what happens then? And chapter 13 is all about answering this question. Chapter 13 is all about coming with, with Jesus coming and speaking parables, sharing stories, so that people who want to hear can begin to understand what's going to happen in this interim time. See, everyone was waiting for the kingdom. Everyone was waiting for the external things in their life to change. They wanted the king to come because if the king came, he'd kick out Rome. All of a sudden, they would be in power. They'd begin to enjoy all the good times. The kingdom of heaven would be set up. That's what they had all been waiting for. We all want the external. But we will never receive it if the internal isn't right. We all want the blessing of God. however you in your mind put that. But we will never, ever get it, Jesus tells us, till the heart is right with God. Whether it be an individual, whether it be a family, whether it be a, a group of people, a church, when the collective heart begins to flow in in a relationship with the sower, the seeds are planted and the seeds then just begin to grow. But how many of us work on the external? You see, they're all waiting for the kingdom to come. That was the expectation. Now they've rejected the king. What's going to happen to the king dumb that this king has brought? And so Matthew has to say, let me share with you here. Let's look at chapter 13. And chapter 13 is really interesting because if you go through here, you'll find 12 times in this one single chapter, the, the word kingdom will be brought up. Jesus will say again and again, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. 
Chapter 13, verse 11, verse 19, verse 24, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, verse 41, verse 43, verse 44, verse 45, verse 47, verse 52. That's not easy to do for some reason. You want to count normally. And just... Twelve times. Because Jesus begins this parable because he wants to share with us where the kingdom really grows. He came to bring the kingdom of the earth physically, but it was rejected. And this kingdom that he now begins to explain through the parables is the kingdom of the interim time. It's the kingdom that comes from the birth of Christ till he comes again a second time when he establishes the kingdom externally. But there's something I think very important, just a, a, a simple point here. Jesus is so concerned. God, our Father, is so concerned. The one who sows the seed is so concerned that we don't just see the fruit, but that we actually have the heart in place so that if the heart is in its right place, if it is well-developed, soft, yielded to God, it is in a place where it can take this seed and allow for it to develop and to grow, then you'll begin to see the fruit of that. Can you imagine if five people banded together and said we want this kingdom and we want more than anything it's not about what's out here it's about what's going on in here we will pay attention to what's going on here so that what goes out and it goes on in here begins to make a difference out here and so that's what Jesus is talking about so in, 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 it's really hard for me at some points because in, in, in a one sense I want to kind of stop and just um, teach about this interlude, this interim of the kingdom, but it's really important to understand that these disciples at this point didn't quite get it. They only had in their mind if when they looked at the Old Testament that the king was going to come when the king came he established a kingdom. It's like looking at a mountain. When you look at mountains, I remember when I took a, a bunch of youth kids when I was in, in early in college and, and I wasn't a, a mountain guy so I went to Colorado and I, I looked out the door and I said, let's go walk to the mountains there. Dumb. We were still way apart, away from the mountain. And as we got closer to the mountains, we began to see this peak and then this peak. And, and, and the valley between them was great. See, what happens in their perspective from the Old Testament, they saw one mountain. But as they came closer to it and they came to it, some of them were blind to see it. And Jesus had to say, guess what? There is going to be a period of time when I will set up my kingdom. And my kingdom will not be set up externally. It will be set up internally in the hearts of men and women who will respond to it. So all this sets up the question, where does the kingdom grow? And so as we get to chapter 13, this first parable, Jesus ends chapter 12 with this incredible warning. And when I prepared and worked for this message back in November, I think it's probably one of the messages that, that impacted my own heart more than any. It was this whole idea that... Um, his warning was the danger of reformation, danger of taking care of and doing things outside, even outside in your own life, morally, without the heart right. Where he says, don't merely change the outside and leave the inside, inside unchanged. Beware of dealing solely with what is external. He's now talking to moral or religious Jews. He's talking to us, the church. Be so very, very careful. You don't set up a system of religiosity that is dealing with the, the behaviors and seeks to control behaviors so that behaviors look good so that now you get into the system. The heart's a mess, but what really matters is what appears to be good rather than what really is good. That's the worst place to be because when you clean that up, you may kick out one and seven more demons will come in its place. And he gives us hard teaching in chapter 12 and then he moves to chapter 13 because Jesus knew that he had to start with the soils. 
That's why Jesus believes so much in this proverb that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Great verse. If you're younger, it is, this is a great verse to memorize. Above all else, watch your heart. For everything, all life and the life that you want flows from it. So now we're ready to study this parable. So we're going to go through this. And it's, it's really, in some ways, rather simple. 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. It's interesting, in chapter 12, he's in the house. His mother and his brothers come to him, and, and they're concerned about his mental well-being and his health. He's been teaching this very hard teaching about, you know, don't just reform, and about demons, and all. And they're, they're standing there, and he says his words to them, and then it says he goes out from the house there, and he sat by the lake and continued to teach. So verse 2, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. It's just a very simple thing. In that day, most teachers, you know, would, they would sit and people would sit around them or stand around them. That's just the way it was. And so he would go into the boat and created a great amphitheater so that he had this water here. And you know how it is if you've ever been out fishing, how people's voices carry, right? And so Jesus was in the boat and he began to teach. Go to verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. You have this picture of Jesus. He's sitting in the boat. He's looking across at this crowd. And over the crowd, he sees the hills. He sees where the farmers are working. He sees maybe a particular farmer. There's farmers walking along doing what they would do in that day. They would take a bag, and in that bag, they would have seed. And, that, and, and they would have these long furrows and these roads. And there would be paths all around the field. Because the paths were the places where people would walk in that day. They would walk around people's fields. Like in the, the disciples, when they were walking one day through the fields, it says they picked some corn. Well, the idea isn't they were walking right into the fields. They were walking on those paths around the field. And so here's this farmer, he's out there with a the sack, he's got the sack, he's grabbing the seed, he's broadcasting, is what, it's actually what that word is, it means to cast broadly. You get kind of what, you know, so you have a radio broadcaster, the idea that you cast this in a broad way, and he would be throwing the seed, broadcasting it along, and as he would throw this seed, Jesus looked up, I think he said, look at the farmer. He would take natural things that people were very much aware of. He would take natural stories, natural truths, and he would, he would tie to it a deep spiritual lesson. And as he looks up, he says, look at the farmer. They look and they see this guy and he's doing this with the seeds. And so as the farmer is throwing the seeds, Jesus says, I want to tell you a story about what the kingdom of God is really like. Now, if you note here again, the sower, there's nothing told about the sower in this parable. The seed is only mentioned in verse 19 as the message of, about the kingdom of God. It's really about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. The Bible is like a husk. The Word of God, the presence of God, the encounter of God. We talk about our, one of our deep values here, deep value in my own heart, is that people have personal encounters with God. This is not about putting in time going to church. This is about having an encounter with God that changes your life. That, so the Bible is a husk, which contains the Word of God, which means God, capital W, can, can show up and you can encounter Him by His Word. And so the message is this, the message of the kingdom. It is God, Jesus, really, in a sense, coming to your heart and you having a personal enriched experience with him. So that's the only time they, he says anything about the seed. It's about the message about the kingdom. And then he goes, here's the story, the soils. And he basically kinds four, four kinds of soils. And I'm just going to share these with you. Four soils, and I want you to ask the question, what's your heart like? What's your heart like? Is your heart like the path? That's the very first thing Jesus talks about. It's the first kind of soil in verse 4. 
Verse 4, Jesus you know, basically starts the story and he says, There's a farmer who sowed seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 19, he goes on to interpret that. These pathways were hard. People would walk upon them. And as they would walk upon them, they would be so hard, they would become almost like a street that you would have out there. So when the seed was thrown, it would land on that path, and there was no way the seed could penetrate that. And so often what would happen is these birds, which were kind of in some ways the enemy of the farmer. Anybody remember the old, what do you put out in the farm field to get rid of birds? Scarecrow. Because you want to scare crows away, right? Well, these birds would be watching because, you know, that's food, free food. There's a bag of food there, guys. They would walk along. He would do it. And when it would land on the path, after the farm would get a little bit, these birds would come and take it right away. And the idea is in verse 19, when you read this, Jesus interprets it and says, these birds are really like the evil one. When the people hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. So you have this, this, this is the imagery, this is the, the, the world that Jesus lives in. This world that Jesus lives in is the seed that He's sown, which is the Word of God. And when the Word of God is sown in the heart, wherever it may be, the Word of God speaks to you. And let me tell you, it's not just in the church. The Spirit of God is so active. The Spirit of God can convict you at any moment in any place. You, you all know what that's like when you begin to do something you know you shouldn't be doing. And you can, is it your conscience? Well, you got, God works for your conscience. The Spirit of God convicts you. It may be that you're with someone who is a friend. And as you're talking with them, they say something that, that just kind of has is, is got the push and feel of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. Maybe through a word of encouragement. And you have the opportunity to receive that and to move into joy. Or you have the opportunity to push it away. I mean, there's so many ways that the Spirit of God comes. But he says that this seed comes on the, on the, on the path. And these birds, as the farmer walks away, they, they grab hold of it. He said, yeah, that's exactly what the evil one does. There are, there are truly, literally, in this world, demonic spirits that cannot wait to come in and snatch away what God throws into the hearts of people. My first inclination when I, when I, when I read this, and, and people read this, is think that these are people outside the faith. This is obviously not people who we you know, want to associate with. You know, they're atheists, partiers, or people who reject spiritual things. You know, we know all the people. But this isn't necessarily the people Jesus seems to be referring to here. These are hardened hearts prior to hearing the word. In Matthew 13, verse 15, Jesus explains the reason he teaches the parables and he quotes Isaiah 6. Quoting Isaiah, who is speaking to the religious person, Jesus says, for the people's heart has become callous. In the very same passage, he includes this idea that they have become hard of hearing, they have become blind to the truth. The callous and the hardened path, the calloused heart and the hardened path, are similar here. Both were once good soil. But this hardened path is really the religious soil that the people that Jesus could come to, the people that he was standing, many of them who were Pharisees, who were far along supposedly in the faith, who had been exposed to the Word of God over and over again. And every exposure to it, instead of it penetrating the heart, they sealed the heart just a little bit. And then it hit again, and he sealed a little bit more until eventually it's calloused, and it becomes what? A hardened path. So the first thing I want to say is, just because you're sitting in the church and maybe you've grown up in the church or you've been a part of the church, it doesn't mean that your heart can't become a hardened path. Is your heart the rocky ground? Second kind of soil. Verses 5 and 6 is where Jesus talks about it and he interprets it in verse 20 and 21. It's the kind of person who responds to God's Spirit. 
feels the word of God, responds and goes, yes, excited about the things of God, but it doesn't last. It just passes and moves away. The heat of trials come and they become disillusioned with the things of the word of God, his promises. Once they're tempted, they, they give in and they give up. So what Jesus describes here. The seed hits the ground where there's this layer of good soil, which would be true in that day. There would be about an inch or more of good soil, and sometimes when it would land on the ground, it would sprout up very quickly, but underneath it was a, a bit of limestone. If that limestone wasn't actually removed, it would actually work against that plant because it would not have the ability to take root. And the moment the sun hit it, and the moment the, the, the ground dried up, they lost their life. And so that's what Jesus describes here. The seed hits the ground where there's a good layer of soil, but underneath it is this rocky ground. Seed quickly germinates, shows promise, but when the heat of the sun comes up, it it just um, withers away. Jesus says in verse 20 and 21, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then is your heart like the thorny, or really a better translation would be weedy ground. It's the third soil that he talks about, verse 7. Verse 22 interprets it this way. Jesus says, the seed falling among the thorns, or if you want to use weeds, refers to the people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The idea of weeds here, this is where the ground, you know how, anybody been in the garden before, I know what, it's like you, you, you think you get everything out, you haul it up, and then all of a sudden later you find out below that is, is a level. There's a network of weeds that are there to really transpire against you. They're there to conspire against you. They're there to, 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 to make that plant not grow. And before you know it, it looks like this, this plant is growing. It seems to be growing well. But before you know it, all of a sudden these bigger weeds come up. They have bigger leaves. They, they seem to just, they're all over the place, Right? That's what Jesus is explaining here. These people show real promise. They don't just quickly grow up and then fall away like the last one. This, is, this isn't some kind of emotional decision. These are people who, who use their head. They make a decision. They make this decision. But over time, the worries is what Jesus refers to, or the pleasures, deceitfulness of wealth. Also, the word deceitfulness was used in the sense of pleasures. Now, Luke it translates that way as well. It's the idea that those things of life get in the way and they crowd out any life and they remove the relationship that one is to have with God. And the last, he says, is hard as good ground. This is a fourth kind of soil. Verse 8. He tells it in verse 23, he describes it this way. The seed falling on the good ground refers to such pe- to people who hear the word and understand it. They produce a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. The fruit. In that day, a farmer in Palestine, if he got a tenfold crop, was doing really well. 7.5 was average. Jesus says 30, 60, 100 for a reason. Because he says any heart combined with the word of God has now the power of God in their life to begin to yield things in their experience that they could never dream or imagine. It is beyond imagination. There is the possibility, as I was saying before, that the kingdom of God represents in this sense heaven that we all long for. Heaven that can come into the heart. And God says... The heart that's, that's prepared like that will receive that seed and it will grow. And so our hearts are 
like the soil. That's what this is all about. He begins by saying, before we start and go anywhere, before you start looking at anything else, the first thing I want you to note, if you really want the kingdom, in this interim time, if you really want the kingdom, it's all about the heart. It's all about the condition of the heart. It's not about the skill of the sower, but about the state of the soil. When the seed hits good soil, it doesn't matter who throws it. The seed will do what it's supposed to do. So the issue is never about the sower of God. It's never about the word, the seed. It's about the heart. So I just want to ask you these questions. I just want you to kind of, through your mind, go, where's my heart? Is it calloused and hard? It's not soft? Is it rocky and shallow? Do you remember a time when you, you, you quickly grew and it was, it was this emotional movement towards God and all of a sudden it just, the trials came, things came, and, and, and you just gave it up? Is it weedy and distracted? Is it so that you began to grow and it actually has taken some root, but you know right now it's being crowded out by all kinds of other things in your life and the things of God, the, this relationship with God is really taking a backseat to everything else? Or is it good soil? You know the difference between the good soil and the other ones is this. Good soil are all those other soils with those bad things eliminated. The path, it's been broken up through repentance. There's a sense of conviction, and then it says, I'm sorry, God, I'm... And you begin to dig it up. It removes the rocks and the things that get in the way that can, that can cause you to not grow. It, it, it does the hard work of spading it. And when the, te- when the tests come, here's the test do. The tests either strengthen your faith or they cause you to give it up. So you're going through a trial right now. Are you ready to say, you know, I'm ready to give it up? Or maybe you went through one, you just gave it up and said, it's just too much. Or is it like he says here, the weedy, that thorny kind of ground? Whereas as, as you began to grow and you began to grow now, there was a time. God was really first place. He was really the passion, the heartbeat of your life. And it isn't now. I've asked Wes um, Reed to come up and just to share, because God worked in his heart in a way, that made, has made a huge difference in his life. And, and Les is just going to take a few moments and just tell us about um, an area in his life where God, I think, took what I would call some weeds that were kind of there and stones, if you want to put it that way, and, and uprooted those. So why don't you tell us, Les, a little bit about what happened. As Pastor said, my name is Les Reed. And just a little background, we moved here in 2008 and started coming to Wayzata Free immediately. Uh, prior to that time, I was a good church attender, but I didn't want to get involved anymore. Uh, I'd had it with that. And after sitting under some of Kevin's teaching, the Holy Spirit started convincing me I needed to become involved again and, and not just sit back, you know, and enjoy everything else. So I started getting involved in things when, when the announcement about men's fraternity came up, I, kind of bulked because I knew if I took a course like that, there would something would come up, I didn't know what it would be, that I'd have to deal with. Well, we weren't far into the study when they started talking about a father wound. And that, that was, uh, you talk about a weed, you ever see those great big weeds that are thorny when you touch them? Uh, they hurt and, and they just crowd out everything else. Well, I had a deep, deep, deep father wound. And, and I even tried the, the trying to write a letter uh, for giving my father, and that didn't work. <laughs> I, I was always trying to do things on my own. And then 
on the uh, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, Con Marine got up and talked about how he got rid of a father wound through men's fraternity. Well, the next Tuesday, he got up and explained to us what it was about, meeting with Carol Miller and going through a process. So I, I set up an appointment. We went through that process and... Thank the Lord that not only did he pull that weed, he destroyed it. And it's, it was just such such a relief of, of, uh, of the pressure of trying to do it on my own and letting God do it that it's made a, every difference in my relationship with my Heavenly Father because I forgave the relationship I had with my earthly father. And and what a what a difference it makes, and and it you don't have to wait till you're 72 to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I was going to say it's really interesting, Les, because when I talked to you about doing this, I had talked to Patty actually before I talked to you, and and Patty said to me, "It's like I have a new man." You shared with me, this was like next to your salvation. It was probably one of the biggest experiences in your own life. Thanks, thanks so much. I'd ask you to listen to this song when the worship team comes and plays this. Um, it's just a song about where our heart is. And I really know in my heart, God has been moving in the hearts of some of you. And, and there is the same thing with less. You've kind of experienced, you've felt it, you've been, been, been prodded, and God's saying it's time to break it up. He's not over you, kind of shaming you, bad person. He just loves you. He just wants you to be in such a deep relationship with Him that it sets you free with Him and with others that you love.